Hello, and welcome to Culture Dumps. It is I, Ryan Lichten. Uh, today, I'm not joined by Parks or any of our normal guests. We have a special, special guest today. We're going to be talking to the Dell guy, a.k.a. the Dell dude, a.k.a. Steve the Dell dude, a.k.a. Ben Curtis. Now, I we were planning on doing a whole episode, like a whole dump just about the Dell commercials, but I was able to come into contact with him and... He agreed to do an interview, which is fucking crazy. Um, but I wanted to give you just a quick background. So on Dell computers, uh, which you know isn't necessarily as prominent as it once was. It was my first laptop that I ever got, and it's because of these commercials that I even got it. But uh, Dell was founded by Michael Dell. Um, you know, but but in the throughout the '90s, you know, they they were very popular with having big accounts in schools and like government accounts. So if you needed to fill an entire office building with computers, you buy them from Dell. Um, you know that that kind of a thing. But he wanted to break into the personal computer market, like the at-home computers, because as we know from our Y2K episode, after Y2K ended up being a bust, more people were more comfortable having computers in their home. And so that became, you know, big, big business. So Ben Curtis, you know, he, he gets hired to, you know, be in this one commercial. One commercial leads to three. Three leads to over 20. And, I mean, he is one of the most recognizable spokespeople of his time. It was an immensely successful ad campaign that brought him immense fame that you'll hear all about. But after a, an arrest, a bullshit arrest, I, I might add, for, uh, for buying a little bit of weed while wearing a kilt, um, he got dropped, you know, just like that, like a hot potato, because there was a no drug, strict no drug policy for employees at Dell, even for the guy that you're hiring to play the stoner in your immensely successful commercials, which sounds like bullshit. But after he was fired, you know, he, he found himself, you know, I, you know, doing a lot of theater. Uh, he even worked in restaurants and you're going to hear all about this. Um, it's also interesting to note that after, um, they had replaced, uh, Steve, well, after Steve, the Dell guy commercials were, you know, canceled, they tried to bring in Cheryl Crow as a replacement, which, uh, didn't, didn't work. And then Dell faced a scandal for defective products and kind of killed the company, um, or killed the momentum it had. But, Without further ado, this is my conversation with Ben Curtis, a.k.a. Steven the Dell Dude. Dude, I am sitting here with Ben Curtis. Now, Ben, just right dude. off the bat, dude, thank you for uh, for dropping that. Um, re real quick, just let everyone know, what would most people know you from? Dude, you're getting a Dell. Fuck yes. All right. See, and now you just saved yourself the trouble of uh, me having to, you know, ask you to say that later. So, you know, I don't mind. I, I own it today. So I was the face of Dell computers of their specifically their TV commercials from years 2000 to 2003. I was probably on your television about 50 times a day, whether it was on or not. Right. <laughs> well, you know, and you're um, the so reason that's how why most I had American knows me. Well, uh, that's beautiful. I'm glad our advertising reached you and was effective. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's let's start from the beginning here. When did you get into to acting? Um, I say from birth. It was basically like a means of survival, like most of how we op most of us operate as adults. Um, you know, I I. I was born into a very dramatic household, but also one that was very progressive. So I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, 
um, to a school teacher and a minister. However, my father was one of the most progressive uh, people in the community on boards of a lot of things to um, help create change. And so was my mom. She ended up working with refugees and they were just both kind of outcasts who actually encouraged me to, to follow my dreams and my, and, and to honor my emotions. But that it, in the, in the sense of why I became an actor is because there's also a lot of trauma and my parents' marriage didn't work. Ultimately, my father um, came to terms with his sexuality. He's gay and inside of a lot of tumultuous stuff in our household and, and trauma that a lot of families have, what I learned was so effective was, was humor. Right. And, and, you know, and also just trying to, I became a master manipulator because it was like trying to survive an emotional warfare. I think that's what I want to say, because that's what I think a lot of people can relate to um, in upbringings is like surviving an emotional warfare. Right. So I became like, really good at putting on all faces or however I needed to, to feel validated or to fit in. And I saw it really worked and I was really good at it, you know, but in, in that sense, I also kind of lost it some, but it, as I, as I found it as a profession, my father, you know, seeing him as a preacher up there on the pulpit, uh, I met David Copperfield at a very young age oh, at wow. age four. I got into magic. Um, there was an amazing music school, um, at my school in Chattanooga, St. Nicholas, and my teacher there, Robert Clark, really nurtured myself and my performance. And there's enough people that said, you've got something special, and they could see how much I loved it. And um, I just had enough angels along the way to tell me to keep going. Even when you know I was auditioning for NYU in Chattanooga, and even my own mom was like, and my dad, so he said we couldn't even afford it, but you know they didn't know what to do and people are like why are you going to new york you know it's right. like there was i had to break a lot of limitations from where i grew up you know ways of thinking that limited beliefs you know to to kind of pursue this and it, and, and it, can, it it's one of the most challenging careers on the planet so you also got to be a little uh <laughs> you got to be you gotta on your be, toes in many ways yeah you got to be a special person right you really want to do that you know Ab absolutely kindly, right now, did you try i mean outside of school and i mean the magic thing is is, is very you know but fascinating as well that that's kind of how you got you know would you consider magic performing being kind of how you got your start or like in, you know putting yourself out there or, or was there kind of school plays and stuff before that well like robert clark when i was when i was four first grade maybe i was in the solo i'll I, i'll never forget this it was it was a musical called boo bear <laughs> and it was the Christmas school musical, and I played Boo Bear, the bear that nobody wanted for Christmas. Oh, and I had this, <laughs> and I had this solo called "Why Me." Oh my god, <laughs> I remember it to this day. But also, I remember being the star, and uh, and that people were like, "This kid's good," you know. So there was like a little bit of validation and then magic was a means as anything else. And actually, if you talk to magicians, a lot of magicians are like a, a bunch of weird ass outcasts. that didn't know how to fit in <laughs> really <the> lonely, <laughs> really lonely kids. Maybe, maybe not friends. I had a lot of friends, but I know even David Copperfield like didn't have any friends and he became a ventriloquist to entertain himself with imaginary friends. And that led to magic. And now he's like, you know, amazing. So there, um, there was those kind of things. Uh, there's also, uh, it, it was a vehicle for me to perform and I was so shy, but when I got on stage or if I had something, 
uh, like a vehicle to, to perform through or, or to speak through, then it felt safe. And I felt like I could do anything. And to this day, I mean, I still rely on music and performance um, and acting and things like that as an outlet to be able to totally unleash. Right. Um, my wife and I, she was, we were just realizing, you know, the other day that on stage, we actually feel more se- sexually self-expressed than we do in our own bedroom sometimes. Well, you get to and, you get to act it out. You know what I mean. You get, you get to, I mean, act out in general. You know what I mean. All, yeah, all you inside. do. And so, you know, that's kind of what led me to do what I do today. Is like, life is short. You know, you, you know, you can do whatever you want. And so, if I get to like create, I try to create as many vehicles for self-expression in my life as I can. And I've made a whole a career out of it and a business, and I help other people do the same um, to just like have permission to be a kid and take life a little less seriously and, and really follow what you want. Because ultimately, if you're pursuing anything else, it's all means to an end so that hopefully one day you can get to where you want to be so that you can do the thing. But the longer I'm alive, the more I see you know, and the pandemic, how short life is and that you really have to go, you know, today's the day it's time is now. Right. And I, and I know, and we'll get to this in a second. I know that there was another very traumatic, I mean, not just for you, but for the entire world, um, thing that, that you went through that kind of had, had a big effect on you, but we will get to that. Um, so you're a teenager, you decide you're going to go to New York. I mean, did you move on your own? Did you, did you have any help? Like what was the big push to get you there? And what was it like arriving? Yeah, I mean, the big push, we went to visit New York enough times. I had a cousin, one cousin, one family member who was an actor, and she was pretty successful. She was on All My Children and loving soap operas. And um, later I met Brian Cranston through her, actually. Oh, wow. That's a long story, but it was it was really cool. And we would go visit her, and I just was so enamored by New York City and the diversity and the electricity and the energy and the possibility and everyone kept telling me, no matter where you go to school, if you want to do this, go to New York. And it just, you know, all all roads led to that. And then I auditioned for my dream school, which was uh, Tisch at NYU for their acting program. And no one thought, you know, 2% of the applicants get in. We couldn't even afford it. But not only I got in, I got in academically to the school. I got an acting scholarship from Tisch. And still we couldn't afford it. And then this, like, amazing that's when the scholarship came through, um, an acting scholarship. So it was just, there was so many, I say, if you really go after your dreams, you know, you can really create anything. So for me, it was just like, it was so clear. This is what I wanted. And I wasn't going to even let money stop us. And I didn't, I mean, I took out a lot of loans. That was the first thing I tried to pay off with the Dell money, (laughs) some of my college loans. Um, and I was still in college, by the way, when that happened, I know we'll get there, but what it was like going to New York to answer that question was like a dream come true. Um, I felt like I could really be myself for the first time. It was the first time women were attracted to me for being sensitive and being an actor, you know, in right. Tennessee and an all boys private school. That was not cool or yeah, sexy. It does, doesn't really fly. Yeah, exactly. You know, especially also, back then, you know, I mean, now it's, nowadays might be a little different, but I, I can only imagine. Yeah. And it was also when I could be, you know, I was always friends with like openly gay kids. I respected that so much after seeing what my father went through as a gay man to try to deny that. But, um, you know, to be able to no longer like have to worry about gender or sexuality and just to be uh, and be in a place where like, you know, there's just so many different kinds of people in New York that there really is an opportunity to express yourself however you want and you can find some kind of group that's into it, you know, right. even this was even like, 
before, you know, that you have to remember this was 1999. So the internet, like there were chat rooms and things like that, but we weren't like meeting virtually, you know, hanging out with strangers all over the world quite yet. Right. And you most know? people didn't even have a computer in their house, you know, by, by this point. Um, but in right, they, they had you, dial, dial right. up internet, you know, I was still new to the internet at that point. You know, my mom got on Facebook before I was, that was in like 2000, 2001, I think 99. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. And, you know, also with Y2K looming, you know, people were kind of skeptical o over computers, you know, but then once yeah. Y2K was a bust, then everyone was, oh, you know what? Maybe I will get one of these since it's not going to turn into, you know, fucking Terminator and, you know, <laughs> kill me in, in my sleep or something. So yeah. now were you like actively seeking auditions while you were in school or, or did this yeah, commercial you're not really come up? No, I did actively seek um, because I heard it took so long. And I like there was a summer when I when I lived in New York in between, I think, my maybe my freshman, sophomore year. And um, I lived there with a friend and I just like hustled all summer. Like I, I mailed out headshots every day, like 10 a day. And then I tr and I went to offices, two agencies that I wanted to be in and like walked my headshot in. Like you can't do that shit anymore. But um, and you weren't even supposed to do it then. But I was like, I am going to do whatever it takes. Yeah, it's and classic. This is classic it, showbiz story right here. It crazy, right? And then and I was even hanging out. I used to work out, lift weights with this kid named Chris Carmack that I used to call Ab Abercrombie. And <laughs> um, he actually became the face of Abercrombie and Fitch like during <laughs> that time. And, and he it, was just and then a, it was. Yeah, he was a star on Nashville, actually. I don't know if you were into that show, but he I was remember, the gay yeah. cowboy, the like handsome blonde gay cowboy. That, um, so uh, did you have other friends that were getting getting jobs as well around this time? Uh, Yeah, like, you know, a lot of these kids, like I went to school with um, uh, Kristen Bell. Okay. Um, she was a good friend of mine in, in my dorm and also, uh, uh, oh my God. I can't believe I'm blanking on her name. Who is the redhead in Happy Days? Oh, uh, not the mom. The famous director now. Oh, Richie... uh, Ron Howard. Ron no. Howard. Yeah, yeah, Ron Howard. Yes, thank you. I went to school with Bryce Howard, his daughter. I can't oh, believe wow. I was blanking on that. I didn't know Bryce super well, but like she was one of the best actors there. So, you know, we knew people were going to go places and you're in the right city to do it. So, but the thing that was so wild was I got so famous so quickly that people started hating on me in college. And I was like, right. dude, I'm just trying to be here to study like the best of you. Just cause I have a fucking commercial doesn't mean like I I've made Like I still have to learn more, you know, this is literally, right. Oh, so what I wanted to say is I was walking into these offices. Let's, let's, Let's back up a second. That sure. summer, right? The classic Hollywood story, but in New York. And they're like, fuck you. No, okay. I walk in this one guy, I get to someone's attention. And they send me out on some auditions. And I actually booked the first one. It was like a PSA for something. And then my friend in, in NYU, who's in Stern School of Business, which is one of the hardest business schools to get into. And I wanted to double major in business like because I knew to be a great artist and actor. And I loved how business works and the idea I wanted to have both those skills, which by the way, they don't teach you anything about that in acting school, like how to actually make it and promote market yourself because that's 95% right. of what you actually do. Um, right. Well, because they assume you're going to have someone that's going to handle it for you. If you get to that level. 
Yeah, maybe. But yeah. even if you do, what I've learned is you still have to do your own shit. You know, I get more of my own work than anything else. Right. Still to this day. And that's with like six or seven agents. Um, so the, the, um, Oh, so my friend says, you know, he's going on auditions and I'm like, dude, you're in fucking business school. Like hook a brother up. Excuse my language. You know, the New Yorkers coming out of me and he's (laughs) we're we're, we're totally cool with colorful language here. Okay. Well, I'm also from the South, so I apologize if I offend anyone, but there's a, uh, you know, I'm like, you know, hook me up, man. And he's like, okay, it's my friend's mom, but I guess I can introduce you. And right away, like she starts sending me out on commercial auditions within the first month. One of them's Dell and. And I'm the only I'm the only guy in college there. Everyone else is like 12 to 17 years old with their moms, literally, because they have to be legally. Right. And uh, but at that moment and then I looked at the script of this kid trying to like sell his parents on what he wants for Christmas. By the way, I was a I was a ninja at that. Like, (laughs) you know, I couldn't get much during the year, but like I knew how to plant the seeds all year to get the thing. Right. And even if I didn't, I would sell everything I have. And like, this is how I was, I was a young entrepreneur. Like I was, my dad said I was doing my own like yard sales when I was 10 years old, like trying to upgrade everything and sell and get the next thing, you know, right. and hustle. And you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. What's that so first I, audition like though? I mean, like you're seeing all these kids, like we're like in your head where you're like, oh fuck, like I probably aged out of this. Or did you feel like you kind of nailed it? Both, right, right when you went but out? I was also like, I got this. I read the script. I was like, I, I, I played this game. I'm, and the cool thing is like, none of what I realized as I was doing it and as I nailed it and I could tell that I nailed it and I could tell they could feel it, but I wasn't sure, you know, if I was what they wanted, there was, kids of all sizes and colors there. Um, so I didn't know if I was what they were looking for, but I know I did my thing. Um, what I also got was that, you know, those kids were in that age, but the thing about experience is once you've been through it, then you can teach from it. Right. So I'd already been through that. So that way I could nail anything, you know, if they wanted me to change the character or mold something, I could do it because I wasn't, 17 anymore i was actually 19 20 21 so like i had the knowledge of how to carve it really right. carve out that character and they really started writing for me which was really cool um yeah, for the, my character what was like the initial because i mean your character that that you ended up you know portraying this the steve the the dell guy you know as as we mm-hmm. all knew it like it, it's so specific but was that kind of the the angle they were going for initially or did it become that no, that's just what came out of me. <laughs> right. It's literally just like what I channeled. And, that's, and that's, I so, can't explain like how or why. I don't sit and think about how all my characters are going to sound and talk, but I've done enough work that I just drop into my body and I channel something as long, but it's as long as it's authentic. That's all that really matters. You know, if you hear good music, it's not about how technically amazing someone necessarily is. Yeah, that's interesting, but. You know, the blues is the same three chords. It's just it's sung from the heart. So if you're acting, what I think makes the great actors, just your ability to be authentic and to listen. So I could listen for what they wanted and I knew how to authentically deliver exactly the intention. Right. right? Which was really just for this kid to shine and to do everything to be cute and quirky in order to win the love, affection and computer of his parents. And then... (laughs) He went on a mission to do that for the entire neighborhood. 
Right. So that was like, you know, every kid, every person knows that passion. You want something, you're like, oh my God, you've got to have this thing. Yeah. You know, and so it's just generating excitement, which is now what I get to do for a living every day for, for, for my clients and myself. Right. And, it, you know, it's incredible. And I mean, you know, it's funny because your character was, you know, trying to, you know, get his friends and his neighbors, you know, a computer. And then you ended up doing that literally for the entire country and other parts of the world, um, mm-hmm. you, you know, like by, by proxy. So what's the but when you get the job, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you're, you're excited. What's like the first day of shooting like? Was it much different than the other things you had done? Was it a bigger production? Like, what, what was that kind of like first day on, you know, filming the commercial? Oh, man, that was wild. Um well, it was like at a house in Long Island. I don't even remember where I did the fitting. I think it was there in the house. There was this huge house, and it was like just me and a small crew, and up in this tiny bedroom. And they had, you know, it's one of those houses you rent that they'd staged this whole bedroom to look like this kid's room. And it was so cool because I feel like stepping into that reality made acting, like delivering the performing, just an ease. Like it was just. I got to walk into Steven's world and then it just, it was like showtime. It was just me and the camera. And I knew the script. I had two scripts, a 30 second and a 60 second. I knew them inside out. I still know the whole thing by heart. And (laughs) I'm not going to have you do it, but I'm like so fucking tempted. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Let me see. Um, Mom, dad. Hey, it's me, Steve. This year I'm putting my wish list on video. All I want is a computer. Now, hold on, Dad. It's just $69 for all this. A Dell computer, speakers, monitors, laptop, a Pentium 3 processor, which is awesome. I even cleared a space for it. And, Mom, if you act now, comes with a free DVD upgrade. And, Mom, I know how much you love free stuff. Uh, Anywho, uh, happy holidays, your son, Steven. My God, dude. You know, you (laughs) – it, it, it's funny, you know, because it, these commercials, it, it, they were, it was so hot and they were so everywhere, but like, you really are a master of the craft, you know, like, you know, thank you. And it's, you know, it's, you know it's I've always... never done that. I have not done that for anyone <laughs> in 20 years. So that was special. Well, I'm, you know, I'm glad you uh, saved it for, for culture dumps. Uh, Cause that's you what brought we, it that, out of me. That, that's what we love. So that's what, what, what happens. I, we what I noticed some culture on you, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yes. So what I noticed though is, that the original commercials they didn't have the the catchphrase the dude you're getting Adele. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- when did that come come into play? And when oh, did you realize that it was story. a sensation? Yeah. Oh my god, I have to write the book. This is just like I, you know, this is I as I'm telling these stories, I'm like, you can't make this shit up, right? So, so by the way, also in that first commercial, um, Bennett Miller was the director, and I didn't really know how big he was, but he he was best friends with Philip Seymour Hoffman. He ended up directing Capote. Oh wow! Um, Jesus. Yeah, he won an Oscar for it. And to this day, like I've written him, I haven't been able to get in touch with him. I'm like, ah, I so wish I could find him again. Bennett, if you're listening, hit me up, dude. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Already. Wow, that's um, amazing, though. Yeah, so Bennett was directing those, and he kept directing them. And um, there was a um, there was a company, an ad agency called Low Lintas in New York City that was that was doing those the ads and writing. And then Dell, like after the like third commercial, which I think in the Christmas holiday time, it just was getting so big that they upgraded to to DDB Chicago, mm-hmm. which is this huge ad agency, and um, 
And then suddenly we were flown to Toronto and we shot a commercial there. I guess they realized they could save money and it was close to Chicago for whatever. And Bennett Miller was there. It was actually the last commercial I did with Bennett. Um, and then I started having different directors after that. But Bennett, um, he was there. We were in the computer store. So it's the one with the the mom, like the Mrs. Robinson thing and her son. Right. And um, we, we weren't, by the way, there wasn't supposed to be an attraction there. But if you look at it, you can kind of see that, like, this actress, this woman and I, like, might have been a little <laughs> bit attracted to each other. It's kind of funny in hindsight. I think I just I watched that one. I don't think I've ever on. said that out loud either, but I'm pretty sure someone, like, did a meme about it once. Like, what's up between Steve and Miss Robinson or whatever? <laughs> and, and I was like, you know, I didn't think about it, but I think I did have a crush on her at the time. And she was, uh, you know, anyway. <laughs> so then there's this teenager who I'm supposed to be, like, his age, which I'm clearly not, but... He's a little younger, and we sell him on the idea. That's when I start like selling it, pitching it to other people, right? Like suddenly right. I'm in a store pitching some other thing than what's in the store to these people. Right, um, right. I'm amazed Apple uh, or PC didn't jump on this sooner too. But with me, but Dell. Um, so in that moment, we're delivering this line, and and the tagline was "Mission accomplished." And I was like, mission accomplished. And I thought that was pretty cool. But then the director, Bennett, comes over and he's like, yo, so they want you to try. They just want to like try something totally different. The writer just had this idea. And I could hear him like giggling in the background. There's like the client there and the ad agency and the producers and like all these fucking people giggling. Over. And they have to like clear every word, right. you know, with the with the T C C whatever. Um so Dude, you're getting, uh, oh, mission accomplished. And they're like, okay, we're going to try something totally different. Just like we're going to try a totally different direction. Um, the Bennett's like, um, so they want you to try, just just do me a favor, try like, dude, you're getting Adele. And I was like, Bennett, are you, are you kidding me? He's like, I know, <laughs> I know. I was like, that's horrible. That's terrible. Like, dude, you're getting Adele. Are you serious? And he was like, I know, I know. Just, just, just try it, okay? So, of course, me. Like, I gave it everything. I, I really believed in it, you know, as a good actor would to serve the purpose. So I was like, dude, you're good, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, like I owned it. And it was like, A star is born. It. Cut. Cut. Print. You know, wow. that's it. And uh, I, I did not. No one knew it would take off. I mean, I still have some Dell gear to this day, like a T-shirt, a hat that say that. Like they were trying to. I mean, I think we need to relaunch this. Steven needs an action, an action figure. Right. You know, like a bobblehead. I mean, um, I'm surprised there had there there wasn't one at, at the time. And you know, also you were so hip, and it was such like a hip, cool commercial and, and an ad campaign. There were so many of them. I feel like you know, Apple really wasn't cool until after your commercials stopped airing. You know, then Apple became the hip new thing with like the cool college edge. Yeah, it's very possible. You know that, that that's that's what I felt. So you had already by the time the catchphrase was was locked in, you had already done a couple of them, but then it really starts taking off. So like, at what point did you really feel like you were like the face of this company, or did you ever? Feel um, like that? Oh yeah, uh, hmm. I think it was right. I mean, it was like after the third commercial, I was like, oh, like this is. And I didn't really know it because I didn't watch TV either. So I was like in school. I was busy. 
So people were starting to come up to me and I didn't really see it coming. You know, it was like, <laughs> this is kind of a fucked up metaphor, but it's like the pandemic. It's like COVID. Right. Yeah. You're like, oh, I see some people getting sick and then suddenly like everyone <laughs> starts dying. Like it was kind of like that. Like, oh, I see some like people are noticing me. And then suddenly it was like, whoom, like everywhere I went. Um, right. And you know people started treating me differently even my mom's like hey it's the dell dude i'm like mom like can you just introduce me as ben to your friends like i still need i need to be myself somewhere you know my yeah. my girlfriend's family started asking about me every time she called instead of them and like my roommates started getting weird my friendships were challenged and it was like whoa now, you do, know do people you think, people I'm, wait wait yeah. wait wait this this is this is really when it was when I got to LA to shoot some commercials and my friends like bro, why you don't stand in line anymore? You're the Dell dude. Like walk to the front of the fucking line and tell them who you are. And I'm like what? I'm not gonna tell them who I am. He goes then I will. Follow me. And then we walk up. He's like this is a fucking Dell dude, man. Are you gonna let him in? And they'd be like oh my bad, my bad. What's up, dude? Oh my you god. Know? And I'd walk into these places with like Hugh Hefner and Britney Spears and. Um, uh, uh, I, I don't know a lot of people. And that's when it was like, I met Ben Affleck and, um, Matt Damon. I was flown to the Sundance film festival when they were doing project green light. I was hanging out. Like it, it was just, I was started to meet my heroes and they started to be really excited to meet me. And I was like, Oh, this is big. <laughs> right now. I mean, hanging out with like, you know, a list actors and being involved in that stuff. Were you, what, I mean, were you expecting to kind of transition into a, a bigger realm, like into film or, or like on a, on a television show or, or was there a oh, feeling yeah. that like, Oh, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of being pigeonholed. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, both. Um, so I had, I could feel it growing. I was also in school, so that was difficult for a while. You know, I was still in school. Um, but I started to get some offers. Um, but I really felt pigeonholed by them. Like, I was almost afraid to land any of them. I'm like, if this if like this were to turn into a real show, like, I could, my career could be ruined for doing this. Like, I saw people do shit shows and never get a shot again. You know, but... Yeah. Unfortunately, what started happening is I got more famous and I was dealing with a lot of, you know, I'm still finding myself at age 19, 20. We all are. Of course. Um, uh, I went through some really, tr you know, I, I, my first adult apartment, I used my money. I moved into what became ground zero two months later. I lived through 9-11 and traumatic events that needed like medical attention and you know, but instead I was getting famous and successful and I just had more access to drugs and alcohol and pot and I just, uh, and anything to escape and relationships and sex and whatever, like money. And it just, it was almost, um, like it was, a, it was so awesome. And I, but I was self-sabotaging these big opportunities. Like I, t I auditioned for Terminator three. Um, wow. I, I was up for some big, things um there's this disney movie animal that rob reiner ended up playing instead um and there was like some characters like that and there uh there's just some like party monster with karen calkin i was up for that role um, oh yeah oh the, like the role of michael alec like the lead 
Yeah. Wow, that's crazy, man. What a different movie that would have been if, if you were if you were. <laughs> I, I would have. I mean, you know, I, no doubt that I could play some really dark roles, and right. I and I and I just wasn't getting taken seriously, and I was studying Shakespeare, and I was so afraid. I had this conversation like I'm not being taken seriously, and I and I was getting so scared. That's why I mentioned the PTSD and depression and anxiety. If you know anything about those, you experience them. Once you get on that cycle, it can be really hard to come out and you just go deeper and you get more afraid and closed off. And what ends up happening is you just create more of that energy and self-sabotage energy. And, you know, initially, like, eventually to the point where me getting arrested and the Delphing ending was was like a blessing in disguise. It was like a relief almost because I wanted so desperately to be more successful and to do all those movies, but it felt like it was so out of control emotionally, internally at that point that I needed it to stop so that I could heal. Right. Um, well, uh, but unfortunately, and, and I, I got blacklisted that. through a lot of that, which is crazy because every actor goes through these things. You know, it just you don't they don't talk about it as much. So I'm just like, let's talk about it. No wonder Britney Spears had a meltdown. Right. The pressure she was under had nothing to do with her. Right. You know, she just wanted to sing and get some validation. Just like, you know, it destroys people sometimes. So you got to be really careful. And I think it's a blessing or what I've been through in order to be able to heal and then like really create change and transformation and help other people follow their dreams now. Right. No. Yeah, I, absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to get to that. I want to back up really quick though. So at, at the peak uh, of, of the Dell thing, I mean, you were in what, like a couple dozen of, of the spots like that there was. Yeah. I think we counted like it was any, it was like 22 to 26 spots that I did in total. So at the peak, like three and, and a half years. And, and you know, if you're not cool with this, you don't have to say, but like on average, I'll talk about anything right now. What yeah. were you getting paid like per commercial? Like at the, it's, at the oh, you know, I I've never actually done that math because it changed every time. Like I got like maybe five or ten thousand for the or five thousand for the first one, and then maybe ten for the second one, and then they were trying to negotiate. And honestly, Dell hadn't used an actor before, and they were really, really resistant to paying me what honestly I deserve because you do not ever get compensated for the impact that it has on your life. Right. You do not get compensated for what happens after that. You become the face of a product and it literally has an impact on the rest of your career and you have a responsibility to be the face of that. But companies want to pay you for the time you're you're on set and then that's it, like as if it's over. And they would have me do personal appearances and voiceovers, but then it was like, we only want you on when you're on. We're only paying you for when we want you on, but like, I had to live that life all the time. So millions would have maybe started to, I really feel like for an actor and what I went through at that time, like to really compensate me. But I mean, you were selling never, the computers like you were. The yeah, I did not make more than six figures. I did not break six figures. And that was I was under contract, apparently for a half million dollar contract and like going to be pretty good when the arrest happens and I was so unwell at the time that I didn't even know. And I, and that just probably would have terrified me more. And I've since made amends to my agent and manager for that. Um, you know, cause they could have put their kids through college with that money. And, right. but you know, no one had to live it and I'm not, listen, I wish I, if I could go back, I would say yes to all of those opportunities. I, but when you are going through a trauma, you, like there's no 
you're just pouring gasoline on a fire when you when you get more success successful because you, you basically your life becomes under a bigger microscope and then your ego is totally built up on that validation right, right? and so at a young age it can really mess with us we're all being programmed today based on what our phones are telling us right? yeah we don't have that much agency and we feel like we have more than ever but actually we're being programmed more than ever and it's so it can be really scary. So that's why it's just an opportunity to like to stop. And, and anyway, it was a gift for me in hindsight to be able to stop. But now like I've learned and I've even approached Dell to say, hey, I've grown up. Your business has grown up. This is an opportunity to take your business like to the next level, Yeah, you know, to to bring to bring it back into the faces of, you know, Cobra Kai came back. Roseanne came back. I'm. I think the Dell dude should come back. The Dell dude, I think, would be very successful uh, coming back because a lot of the people that were like so young that were getting the computers bought from are now old enough to be buying the shit themselves, and they'd be like, "Oh, fuck, yeah, the Dell guy!" You know, they're what becoming mean? parents and grandparents. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So, um, you know. All, all this stuff's going on. Like you said, things are moving really fast. You're starting to kind of suppress things with, with, you know, outside substances and, you know, your actions and all that. And then, of course, you know, when anyone Googles you or Googles what happened to the Dell guy or whatever, the arrest comes up. And uh, I, I would like you to explain what, what exactly happened. I understand it was, it was over marijuana, and I read that you were wearing a kilt. Yes. These are both true. Okay. So Proudly. walk me through it. And as my Southern preacher father said, God bless him. He said, uh, well, at least you got arrested in style. <laughs> Very important. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty cool dad. Yeah, um, absolutely. Mine would not we, uh, have said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I got enough shit. He knew it. I mean, it was on the headlines, so he didn't really have to say anything. Yeah, I, I um, saw one. It was, uh, dude, you're getting a cell. Yeah, which is what I wanted to name my first uh, one-man show after, but now it's people relate it to cell phones a lot. Right. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, so it was my best friend's birthday. Um, showed up. Uh, he took me to Scotland for the first time where I met this girl who I fell in love with, and she was visiting, and we wore our kilts uh, out of honor to our Scottish lineage and my girlfriend and him and just to have fun and we wore them proper scottish style which is nay knickers right so no one no underwear and um just for fun right yeah, and we were like 21 right and in a bar in the lower east side our favorite bar in motor city which isn't there anymore and um it was like one of those dark bars that like old independent filmmakers would go to do you know blow at late at night uh, my favorite but it was like motorcycle bar is fun and we knew the bartender so of course we're all going to go there and i'm i uh getting my buddy some some birthday cannabis right and as you had to do in new york still sometimes is like call a delivery service mine wasn't my usual one wasn't working so i called the backup and they actually came on a bicycle um and of course i needed change and they pull out change and and the taxi cab driver I see turns out like I turn around and then we both get thrown against the wall and the taxi driver turns out to be undercover cops oh, that are, uh, that are, um, following them. And I just was the guy there. And then when they found out they got me, 
they're like, oh, don't worry, it's just us cops that know. And of course, they all came by and harassed me. Dude, it is the dude. Holy shit, sucks for you, bro. You know. Oh, but God. the the kilt kept me in my own cell. Thank fucking God, because they were like, you're not gonna last in here a second like that. And my buddy. <laughs> whose father is like the number one criminal offense attorney in Baltimore is like, can we bring him some pants and underwear? Is that okay? And they're like, why? And they're like, cause he's not wearing any. And they're like, Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can bring him pants and underwear. And, um, you know, next day I get out early. I had a conversation with a hair. Oh, then I got transferred to like the tombs, central booking, you know, in New York city underground where they keep everybody over the weekend. Cool. I ended up meeting this heroin addict who was coming down and really sick. And he asked me how old I was. And I told him and he had, he had started crying and said, that's my son's age. And this is going to be like my third time going to Rikers Island. And I just, I don't know what I'm going to learn. And I was like, well, this is your opportunity. I think this is, you know, God telling you like is a, a wake up call, right. you know? And I never forgot that. And then like within minutes, this cop comes down and he's like, yo, Ben Curtis. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, your lawyers here. I'm like, my lawyer, lawyers like your agency called him like my agency they were like it's already on tv i'm like it's on tv Fuck. uh yeah and then they like coached me on how to walk out and i get like there's press hoarding me and i'm like dude this is like what it looks like this is crazy this Did is you have, like, like a the mis- jacket over your head kind of thing yeah this is like a misdemeanor for an eighth of cannabis this yeah. is like 50 <laughs> bucks worth of pot you know from a shitty delivery service like and even the delivery service called and apologized to me and wanted to make sure I was okay. They're wow. like, yo, dude, I heard you got pop, bro. Like, you know, I'm so sorry. And, and then, of course, all the – and then every uh, pot delivery or every guy in New York came out of the woodwork. You know, even my doorman's like, dude, I could have hooked you up with weed. I'm like, why didn't you tell me before, bro? Why are, Why is everybody coming to me now? Now I got free weed everywhere. But didn't, didn't people assume that, I mean, like you would have thought that people would have assumed that you would have been down just because of how your character was anyways. You know, you're kind of like you know, And people said that. I wasn't even a stoner yet then, but I remember it was kind of going that way. And, and I even remember Bennett saying on the very first commercial, they want like a little less Spicoli and a little more like quirky kid next door, you know, like a little less surfer dude. I guess it was just what was coming out of me. But um, so it wasn't like I was trying to be a stoner, but I just kind of, you know, I don't know. Maybe it was just part of my nature and a southern guy talking. I don't know what it is, but I obviously I came off as a stoner. (laughs) And uh, someone even thought I was like autistic or on the spectrum or something. And um, I'm yeah, like, cool. What, what if I yeah. was? But that's not what you know. It wasn't the gig. <laughs> so, so when do you get let go? So now you're out. You know, people are now you're getting even more press because now you're not getting press as just you know being on commercials. Now it's it's Ben Curtis, the Dell guy. You know, not just Steve, the Dell guy. Um, wh- like when do you get let go? Because I, from my understanding, this was kind of the 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 thing that ended the the whole Dell campaign. Yeah. Um. When did I get let let go? Yeah, yeah, like, like from, from um, Dell. Like, how quickly did you get the call that? Like, yeah, hey. sorry, I actually just got a text from a guy in Texas that I know that makes like action figures for movies. So, like, our whole thing about the bobblehead and Steve just oh wow <laughs> came into my brain. I'm like, oh shit, this might happen. Fuck yeah. <laughs> um, so I got let go. You know, they, I think it was right after that. They had like a no drug 
tolerance policy for all their employees and legally they had to like uphold that for me too um because it was illegal at the time still like nationwide so it was just so unfortunate you know it's like a michael phelps thing except michael phelps is still an olympic athlete they got many other offers yeah you know but i just got canned right away and i don't think they ever really recovered from that you know um i had another guy hire me right away he started a company called games and flicks it was going to be a competitor of netflix that also sold video games and so we did like dude you're getting games and flicks and he was like my son got busted for pot i don't give a shit we're gonna get high together i want you to be my (laughs) spokesperson you got robbed blah blah blah, you know but it never really clicked like i immediately did my first feature film but no one saw it i was in it with frank vincent uh from and uh vinnie pastor from goodfellas and sopranos and um you know i it's called Spy the Movie. Okay. It never went, never got distributed. It was like they were trying to do digital before it was really digital, and it was on HD, and it just looks bad, and it was kind of weird. It's like a psychological thriller. I played a quirky surveillance specialist, and it was like the mafia and science and cloning. And... I would watch that right now. If okay, it was well, <laughs> I, you might be able to get it. If you go to spythemovie.com, it may be on Amazon Prime or something. I'm still trying to figure out how to watch it because it's like, you know, especially if you get stoned, it'd probably be pretty awesome. It is a high <laughs> action movie. And I did my a lot of my own stunts on there. So I did this fight scene on this moving flatbed truck. What? I got to jump off of a car. Like I, I was very active and agile. I was a rock climber. I got to climb up in ceilings and stuff. So it was like they let me do a lot of my own stuff. Um and just none of these things went anywhere. And I couldn't even get agents to take me seriously. I'm getting better and better and better and better. And 10 years later, like I was still trying to get agents. To, I was did a like lead role off Broadway in a play that Brian Cranston produced called The Crusade of Connor Stevens a few years ago. And even agents were like not really, you know, interested. And I'm like, I'm at the peak of my game. Like I just booked Orange is the New Black and and uh, marvelous mrs mazel and they're still like i have to hustle to get seen right you know so if you're an agent and you're listening and you're ready for a rock star client i'm ready for you okay i'm just putting it out there yeah hey ab- absolutely now i mean that kind of seems like an unforeseen consequence of being such a public face of like you said like the face of a product you know and then to, to have that taken away you know like that you kind of have to work extra hard after already finding so much fame and success you know that's kind of an interesting thing that i feel like a lot of people wouldn't recognize or even appreciate about spokespeople um yeah you know at the at the end of the day so what i mean what were you doing for for money in between that like you know as as life you know crept on you know i mean how did you keep yourself afloat in between jobs um man i ended up having like wait tables like i spent that money i basically paid off my college loans the money went pretty quickly and at that age you don't you think it's gonna just last forever and it doesn't but i did produce a play that uh, called Indian Wants the Bronx about racial violence in response to um, how America responded to September 11th, you right. know, starting to just kill anyone who looks like a Muslim. And I was not okay with that. And uh, so I did a play playing that like racist uh, white person and um, started that a conversation and, and we had an Indian actor who was really incredible. And my best friend, who was Jewish, who was a grandson of a Holocaust survivor. And 
We, I produced it myself. We did it in the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. It won awards there, and um, but still didn't get accolades, right? Israel Horowitz produced it. He's he's one of the greatest living Jewish American playwrights. Um, his son is Ad Rock from the Beastie Boys. Oh wow, yeah. I thought, um, I, I thought I recognized the name. Yeah. That, that, yeah, that, and and the money like, like I had so to wait talented, tables. Man. It, it's like, and, it, it's yeah. Insane. Thank you. <laughs> you know, and people, I got I got harassed waiting tables, and that was really it was tough. Um, but you know, now I've learned how to use my talents, um, and to you know, think about acting careers. It, a lot can be dependent on other people, but now artists are being coached more to create their own series. Rather than doing that, well, I am creating my own series. Um, actually, right. <laughs> as I said that, I was like, I just pitched a new idea to someone um, for a series. But basically, it's so perfect that this podcast has come in because I'm really starting to own my past as Dell and see all the things in life lessons I learned and all the experiences. And I've been studying coaching and leadership and psychology and healing and yoga and meditation and for like 20 years. And so basically I've learned through all of this that I do what I love and I make it work and I get paid to do what I love. I said I was going to get paid to travel for the last eight years. I've led a retreat, uh, guitar, yoga, surfing retreat in Costa Rica. Wow. Um, those three of my favorite things. Uh, I teach the yoga. I co-teach the surfing. Um, it's called balance guitar. So you can go to balanceguitar.com. My best friend, um, taught at Columbia University in Berkeley and he teaches surfing and Tai Chi and they, they, you can take private lessons with him on balanceguitar.com. He teaches online. Uh, and we teach musicians to take care of their bodies. You know, I do public speaking. I talk to schools. I talk to, um, colleges. I, uh, I coach people on following their dreams and especially men who are sensitive like me or creative who feel stopped yeah. And know they have something to offer, but don't know how. I really help people create change in their life and really like step into their potential and just be the mentor that some of the ones I had and some of the ones I didn't have. Um, and uh, you know, I'm just a lover, and I and I really believe in helping people love themselves more, and that that is really going to heal so much on this planet. That's going to help us take care of the planet. That's going to help us take care of ourselves and each other and just create like a better environment for everyone and uh you know if i get more acting careers from it great but i'm really doing it so i'm going to start my own podcast this is the first place i'm sharing it publicly great it's called dude you're getting well oh that's fucking great dude <laughs> that's awesome yeah and i'm gonna interview as many of my heroes as i can to find out how they take care of themselves and in all walks of life and also dealing with like you know, the fact that we are about to walk into a unforeseen 30 years of climate damage and 1 billion climate refugees, it is now a fact. And so a lot of conversations are steering towards sustainability and we have to learn to take better care of ourselves and if we're going to be alive and if the planet's going to survive. And so like now's the time. And I even see performing and acting for me as taking care of myself. Like I, it's, I get to tell stories to help people heal and dream and um, and uh, and I like to do that whether I'm coaching or teaching or playing music or acting. Um, so that's really what I'm about. I'm actually sitting in my new house in Rhinebeck, New York, the Hudson Valley, 
first time I've ever been in a house in my own office with my wife, like literally starting to live our dreams. And it's just because I finally said, I'm not going to live in fear anymore. And you know, I'm going to keep going and I'm going to really just talk about it and share all my, all my traumas and horrors and dark sides because it's, it's just like, we just have to start loving ourselves more and everything else will work out. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And that brings me to, you know, I, I kind of want to, you know, round it off with this, you know, as someone that, you know, had these dreams, you know, lived them out, you know, for, 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 for a while there. And then, you know, kind of saw the decline, you know, after, a, you know, an unfortunate incident. And you also lived through one of the biggest tragedies literally of all time, September 11th. And then you get arrested. You, you lose the opportunity, you know, that, that you were given with Dell. But you you found you know, your, your happiness again, what would be your advice for someone going through a rough transitional period where it seemed like everything, everything was in order. Now it seems like nothing's in order. What would you say to someone like, as far as how to, how, how to push forward? Mm. Uh, that's a great question. A lot of my clients have been there recently. And, um, you know, the first thing to start is just to, is is to quit trying to to be somewhere else, and and just to sit and listen, and to start listening to what it is you actually want. You know, and and write down all the reasons why you think you can't have it, and right. then throw those reasons out the window. It's like the first thing you got to do is just take. Actually, I'm going to even change that. I'm going to break it down, make it even simpler for you if you're listening. Because yeah. we can all do this. It's just to take one action today to do something towards your self-care. That could be something you care about. That could be something for yourself. You know, like I moved into a new house. It can be a source of joy or also pure anxiety, depending on what I'm focusing on. Yeah. But if I unpack like one box... I feel so much better and I'm actually moving my dream forward and it just is like one box. I don't have to take on the whole fucking house today. You know, like I'm in such a place of privilege because I suffered for so long. And once you finally throw that off, if matters neither created nor destroyed, you take one small action and you start to move things, the needle towards where you want Right. So if you're struggling with money, if you're struggling with emotions, if you're struggling with like purpose, it's just take one small action to take care of yourself. You don't need to find your purpose right now because, you you know, you may not be alive tomorrow. So yeah. knowing that, like, is there someone you'd like to call today? Is there something you'd like to say to someone? Is there something you'd like to say to yourself? Like, maybe you could just take a bath. Maybe you could write down um one thing you're grateful for. Yeah. And for people who are really struggling, I say just to sit for three minutes and you can call it meditation or whatever you want. And actually I have a great exercise on my website. If you go to my, um, my link tree, there's like a download, there's like an exercise, um, to create more joy right now. And what, what's uh, the website just, just for, for folks? Oh, it's, it's, it's linktree slash Ben Curtis. So link tr.ee slash Ben Curtis, or you just go to my Instagram, Ben Curtis official. However, I think I just got officially banned for the first time yesterday, uh, which I'm kind of honored. Right. Um, I can't sign into my account, nor can my <laughs> assistant. So, 
uh, you know, I think it's an honor. I think we've reached so many people that they're trying to shut us down. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> which is fucked um, up because you, you're giving out nothing but positivity from what I can hear. Yeah. You know, I'm just trying to help people. So, um, really the link tree is there or my YouTube channel, but it's Ben Curtis or Ben Curtis official. You're, you're either going to find the golfer or me. Right. right. So, You'll know you'll 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 know you're in the right place. But uh, Ben Curtis official will lead you to my Facebook, to my Instagram, um, and I have a couple things that I really want to share about. So Absolutely. one, there's this activity to sit and visualize or create more joy. I've got like a manifestation um, download on there for you as well. But the other one is um, on sorry on. Um, Wednesday, October 20th at 8 p.m. Eastern online, I'm going to be teaching my first workshop. Uh, it's going to, it's the first one I've done this year. And I'm really excited about it. I did one called man up in January just to like blow the roof off. Anything people think of as a man today and the stuff, the, the constraints men have to go through because men still have the, the highest rate of suicide of anyone because we have all this old programming women have to deal with it too of course living in a like masculine dominated society sure. but men have been programmed that we have to carry this weight and responsibility and earn achieve work hard and suffer in order to provide and and be validated and so i'm still on a mission to help unprogram so many men just to lean into their hearts and stop working so hard because they're killing themselves and they're ruining their families and they're getting nowhere and women are having to do that in this dominated society too, but there's, there's a shift and there's some support and language that women have access to cult because it's culturally acceptable that men do not. So I'm the way I talk and the realness I bring to you is to really try to create a space for more people, especially men or people, especially if you're, you struggle with finding gender or feeling accepted in gender, um, a space to just be your authentic self and to take the box off. So um, so Wednesday, October 20th, 8 p.m. Eastern, I'm leading a workshop with this amazing, amazing intuitive teacher and healer and speaker called Daniel Tuttle. And this workshop is called The Renaissance Men. And uh, it's a workshop. It's actually for men and women, but it says a workshop about you, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're both really fun guys. Um uh, Daniel has a lot of personality and light and a lot of intuitiveness. And what we're going to basically do is we're going to break open the conversation of what it means to be a man today for men and women and everyone in between. And then we're actually going to create some healing and new, new possibilities and new energy, like on the spot, transform some stuff for ourselves around that, um, to, to make this planet a better place. So it's just like a really cool safe space where you can participate or not. You can even just listen. Um, you can sign up. I think it's only like 50 bucks and, uh, uh, it's definitely going to sell out though. Um, and it's just an opportunity to get in conversation and Hey, if you want to meet the Dell dude and see what I do, like on the street, like, you know, when I'm getting my hands dirty and really leading, you know, yeah. this is what it looks like for me. I would love to have any of you there. Um, and then I'm also leading a men's group called the lion's den, which is like a 10 week program. Uh, that's for 10 men. So it's a little, you know, it's intimate. And I, and I, 
there's a way to apply actually to do that on my link tree as well. And then I also do one-on-one coaching for anyone. Um, so you, you hear that I focus on men specifically for the reasons that I said, but really, you know, I meet people wherever they are and help balance the masculine and feminine, but it's about leading us all back to our heart and our purpose. And, you know, if you want a culture dump, like culture is about like creating action and purpose and, and change and spark and rebellion and, and like new energy and like, and learning from the history and like, and, and, and all the like beautiful things in between. Right. So this is like, you know, the delting was culture you know, a culture icon, but we're like creating new today. And we've got like, we've got a purpose and, you know, Steven's grown up and it's, there's just so much possibility. And, and, and the last thing I'll say is one thing we've learned in this pandemic is we've all gone through something together as a world for the first time ever in this lifetime. Yeah. And some, so you can guarantee that we've all experienced some suffering and we all are in some of this together. So you can't deny that anymore. So the opportunity, no matter where your beliefs are, and this isn't political or medical or any of that, like this is just straight, like, we're in it together. Yeah, so we might absolutely. as well I love reach out. And I'm just so grateful that uh, you reached out to me and, and allowed me the space to share so much. And um, I just hope to inspire someone. I'm really lit up and inspired today. So I'm so chatty, but um, I'm just really grateful for this opportunity. And for anyone listening, like you're in the right place. Just keep going. Yes. Well, Ben, dude, you're getting culture dumb. That, yes. God damn it. You know, I'm so happy for you, man. Like you sound like you're in a really good place and you know, it, it would have been I am today it, at least, you know, yeah, we all you have know. our hard days, but I've been working with clients today and I've seen possibilities. I'm seeing people change their lives. So that's why it keeps hope alive for me. Yeah. I, I I'm loving it, man. I, you know, good for you. Keep on doing what you're doing. And I'm so glad that, you know, cause your story could have easily, you know, ended after the arrest, you know, you could have easily fucked everything up and not been around even for, for me to have you on today. And the fact that you're helping people mm. and you're so positive is just really, really, it, it is truly inspiring. So dude, thank you for coming on the show, Ben Curtis. And uh, I'll, I'll keep in touch, huh? Man, I would, I would love that. It's, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And if you're listening, please, you can follow me on Instagram um, YouTube. I'm just always putting out content. You can shoot me a message. I'll send you free content anytime. And um, just remember, keep going. Keep going. All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon. All right, dude. Thanks, Ryan. See really appreciate it. Absolutely. Bye. Wow. That was the fucking Dell guy on Culture Dumps. Can you fucking believe it? What a nice guy, too. You know, really, really, really earnest, really positive. Uh, that was that was incredible. So for uh, more content like this, you can sign up to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Culture Dumps. Follow us on Instagram at Culture Dumps. Send us emails with suggestions, comments, and all that good stuff at culturedumps at gmail.com. And again, very important, if you're listening to this, which you are because you're hearing this, make sure you subscribe and rate it on whatever app you're listening to. Share it with your friends. Share it up from your social media. All that stuff helps us out greatly. I'm Ryan Lichten. Our guest for today was Ben Curtis, a.k.a. Steven, the Dell Dude. And uh, keep on dumping.